0: Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and click on the Listen tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. As I mentioned earlier, this is the first in a series. And really throughout this entire series, we're, we're going to be asking a pretty simple question, and that is, what for you delivers the season? What What delivers the Christmas season, the feelings and the thoughts and the passions and the peace that we want to go along with Christmas? And you're going to notice a a little bit of a theme to the next four Sundays in that we're going to suggest some things that I think for some people deliver the season. Today we're talking about decorations, for example, and next week, we'll, we'll be talking about gifts and the following family, and then the following week after that, music. These are all elements of, of things that, for many of us, tell us Christmas is on the way. We hear that first song on the radio, or we start to see the lights go up in our neighborhood, and it triggers something in us that, for many of us, goes all the way back to our youth. What was interesting to me as I was pondering this just yesterday morning on the morning news, there was a news story, and at the bottom of the news story was this little title that I had planned to use for today's message, what I just talked about, what delivers the season. Right there at the bottom of the news story was Delivering the Season. And according to this news story, what delivers the season is Fred Schwamm. Now, I'm sure you all know Fred Schwamm, right? Because he delivers the Christmas season according to this national news story. Have you anyone here heard of Fred Schwamm? Cannot believe you people have not heard of Fred Schwamm. <laughs> Fred Schwamm owns a year round company called American Christmas. It's based in New York City, but this company is nationwide. Some of the biggest and best Christmas decorations that you see in major cities are put up by Fred Schwamm's company, American Christmas. For example, check that out, Saks Fifth Avenue. There are over 220,000 lights in this display. Uh, crystals, uh, lasers, all kinds of amazing things on Saks Fifth Avenue in New York. It took Fred Schwamm 11 months to plan this and six weeks with his team of dozens of people that work at his company year-round to put up this single display at Saks Fifth Avenue. Or take this next one, for example. How about Radio City Music Hall and... The Christmas tree that is filled with more than 10,000 lights. Who here would love to string up 10,000 lights in their Christmas tree this year? You'd love that, right? No. No, I don't think any of us would love that. There's one more I have. Yeah, the iconic angels. If you ever watch any NFL football games like I do, you'll see the iconic angels shown, especially if the game's in New York City. They'll show this during the Christmas season. Watch for them. All of these were put up by Fred Schwamm's company, American Christmas. Now, this might give you memories right here in Levine of going over to the house on 63rd Avenue. Anybody ever been over there? Let's see the next picture. You know, you, there are all these awesome, and, and that house has even been featured on the news. It's quite incredible. We often think of decorations when we think of Christmas, don't we? And so, as we approach this season, what we're going to talk about, as I said before, is are decorations the thing that truly delivers Christmas? And I want to talk to you about making a time, to actually go beyond decorations into your heart and and talk about making an opportunity and making a space to worship Christ and devote our hearts to him. And what we're going to talk about this morning are four attitude adjustments, attitude shifts that we're going to need to make in our hearts in order to to make what I think is the true thing that delivers Christmas, and that is creating space for worshiping our Savior Christ as the Magi did. So I want you to write these down. I didn't create a space for this, but there's a little white space next to this verse I'm about to read. I want you to write down four words. These four words, if we address them, will address attitude shifts in our hearts that will lead to Christmas being delivered. So, number one, our attitude towards truth. What's our attitude towards truth? Secondly, what's our attitude toward trust? Thirdly, what's our attitude toward sin? And finally, what's our attitude toward self? Truth, trust, sin, self as we examine our attitudes in those four areas, I think that we're going to see how, how God himself, how Jesus will deliver Christmas to us. Now, I'm going to read this passage from the book of Isaiah, and then I'll explain it a little bit. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they've been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Now, if you want to understand these words, which admittedly are are a little bit Hard. These are hard words to listen to. These words are written by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before Christ. And one thing that's important for us to realize as we listen to Isaiah's words here is that Isaiah as a prophet was fighting more than just individuals' sins. By the point, that, by the point of time that Isaiah comes around, what's happening is there has been in Israel, the people of God, a network of people built that is so strong that it's become, sin has become embedded in their culture. Turning their back on God has, has become something that is, is part of their daily life. They, even though they, they think of themselves as the, as the people of God, they're simply going through the motions. It's an outward display. It's a to put it in terms of today's message, it's a decoration, it's a shiny object, but there's no substance underneath their worship. And I I mentioned those four words to you because as you look at Isaiah talking to these people 700 years before Christ, trying to address not only these people as individual believers, but addressing the entire culture of Israel, he's saying, we've got to check our attitudes toward truth, toward trust, toward sin, and especially toward ourself. You see, what Isaiah was encountering was that people were willing to worship almost anything but the true God. If you read the book of Isaiah in its entirety, you will encounter the word idol or idolatry so many times it'll make your head spin. It's as if these are people with their arms filled with their idols, trying to figure out where in in these full arms do I put the true God, and they can't any longer find space for him. And there are also people that have developed a greater confidence in human help, in what they personally can do, too strong an idea of themselves. And in what their allies, Egypt or Assyria, can do to help them. And so when trouble comes along, they don't think, let's run to God. They think, let's run to Egypt or let's run to Assyria and they will help us escape this trouble. And so Isaiah is sent by God as a prophet to address this idolatry and to address these four items that he's noticing even when the people are doing the outward shell of being believers and going up to worship. That's what he's addressing. Here are people, they're going to the temple. They're going through the outward motions. If you or I would have looked at them, we would have said, what devout people these are. How much they love their God. And, and yet what Isaiah is saying, guys, it's, it's become nothing more than a decoration, an outward show. And we have to address that. So, because that's something that's so applicable to us, isn't it? That as individual believers in Christ, as Christ followers, we need to start by looking at ourselves and realize how easy it is for us to get our arms filled with other things, other gods, idols, and and fail to, to, to be able to carry... God. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but it happens all the time to me. I always think that I can carry more stuff in from the car into my house than I can really carry. Does this happen to anybody else? Like, the groceries come, right? And I've got all these bags, and I, I've got the the, the the big case of Coke on my shoulder, and, and then I've got, I'm trying to balance my phone in my hand. And oh yeah, I forgot the keys, so I'm wriggling around trying to get the keys out of the column because I left them there, and I want to carry all this stuff in at once because heaven forbid that I'd have to make another trip out to the truck. Do you know what always gets dropped for me in that balancing act? Not the loaf of bread that I can easily replace for a buck, But something like my phone and the the screen shatters, the most valuable thing, the most important thing is the thing that somehow I end up dropping when I'm trying to juggle all of this. This is what's happening spiritually to the Israelites. It's what can happen spiritually to us when we're trying to juggle too many spiritual things at once or even unspiritual things that have come to be spiritual things because we've started to honor them or trust in them or find our joy and happiness in them. We're juggling too much and we lose God. And so as we dive into this, let's take a look. And where I want to start, because I believe this is truly what does deliver Christmas. Not decorations or gifts or, or even family or music, but what delivers Christmas is worship. So will you start by writing this down? Christmas is built for worship. Now how can we ensure that our worship does not turn into just a shiny decoration? So let's, let's break Isaiah down a little bit, and I'm going to go back to the top, but I put this verse right here so that you can easily find it. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Can you see what the problem is? The the people are worshiping God and and their mouths are opening and and the right words and the right songs and the right psalms are coming out of their mouths. but, But God says, I'm not, I can see into people's hearts. I'm not seeing their heart come with those words and those songs. The actions outwardly are there, but the inward, the real substance of worship where people are honoring me, leaning on me, trusting me is not there. And the first thing God is really addressing here is, this isn't honest. This is There's no integrity in their worship. What I'm seeing happen to my people, and not just with worship, but throughout. Isaiah and the other prophets talk about things like dishonest scales, uh, that, that people come to the marketplace and, and they've... And they played with the weight so that it looks like you're buying more of a certain commodity than what you're buying. It's running rampant, this dishonesty. Now, I don't know if you've noticed in our culture, but there's a whole truth industry that's recently sprung up. Have you noticed that? So, so for example, WikiLeaks. W- why does everybody talk about WikiLeaks? WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks doesn't exist if we're all telling the truth because there's nothing to leak. What about during the recent election? And I'm not going to get political here. This is a very general statement. This is not about any particular candidate or party. But did you notice during the recent election how many times a news broadcast, whatever brand you listen to, said, and we had our fact checkers check the claims of the candidates? Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, we are, we're no longer trusting each other to tell the truth to one another. And so we have WikiLeaks and we have fact checkers. Stephen Colbert, if you ever listen to him, he has a word for this. He says we're no longer being truthful, but anybody know it? Truthy. We're not truthful, we're truthy. And there's a certain truthiness to many statements that are made, but there's not much truth. Do you know what he means by that? Truthiness is when a person can get up and spew things that have no basis in facts, but they say them so sincerely, and look, you square in the eye that it seems like truth when you're looking at them. Stephen Colbert would say that's being truthy. Now, what happens in a culture where we cannot depend on one another to speak the truth to one another. Pretty soon, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, culture breaks down because so much about our relationships is based in truth. And you know this in personal relationships. If you catch someone that you love in a lie, if it's your child you're going to confront that because you want the truth from your children. You don't want your teenager covering up what they're doing and coming to you with something that's truthy. You want something that's truthful. And that's what God is saying to us. We're his children. And that when we come to worship, he wants it to be truthful. Worship that has integrity. Worship that is not just an outward show, but worship that is sincere and from the heart. So here's what I want you to write down. God seeks honest, transparent, and vulnerable worship. And I'm going to talk to you about what each of those represents. God seeks honest, transparent, and vulnerable worship, not hypocritical worship. Hypocritical is when we're one thing on the outside, but on the inside, we're something else. Now, why am I talking about this? The same reason Isaiah was talking about it. What Isaiah knew is that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, face some powerful foes to our way of life. And one of the powerful foes that's mentioned again and again in the Bible is the world. We talk about the devil as one big enemy. We talk about our own sinful flesh as another enemy. We talk about the world as a third enemy. Often from this stage, we don't necessarily call that the world. We call it culture. That our culture has a powerful spiritual influence on us. So what Isaiah knew is that if the Israelites were being truthy instead of truthful, this was going to play into their worship. And so he comes not only after them as individuals, but also he comes at them for their culture that this has spread throughout. And it is the same thing we have to look at. Because if our culture by nature is truthy, what are we going to start to think? It's okay to be truthy. We don't have to be truthful anymore. We just have to be sincere, even if we can't back up what we say with the facts. God says, that's not going to work for me, especially not when you're worshiping me. I want integrity. I want honesty, which means being free of deceit, And untruthfulness sincere, completely free of any deceit. I want worship that is transparent, which means putting my thoughts, my feelings, and especially my motives on open display. And God says, I want vulnerable worship meaning that as I come before God, I'm willing to expose myself even to potential hurt or harm. Now, why would God hurt or harm us? Only to the, to the point that he in love disciplines us. So when you come before God, are you honest? Take a look at that. Free of deceit and untruthfulness. When you come to worship, here on sunday when you sit down for your quiet time during the day with your bible are you transparent are you taking time to put your thoughts and your feelings and your motives on open display with god are you taking time to be vulnerable with him let's turn the page when we do that when we when we're open to be uh, to to be honest and transparent and vulnerable That moves our attitude in the right direction where God wants it to be, and then we're prepared to have Christmas delivered to us. Now, what's the second thing that will prepare our hearts so that Christmas can be delivered to us in worship is our attitude toward trust. Isaiah goes on and he says, their worship of me is based on merely human rules they've been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The, the wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. So we, we talked about one thing that will lead us apart from God, and, and that is when we're distracted by too many we're trying to carry too many things that are idols in our life, that are shining objects in our life. So let me let me uh, illustrate this. We're talking about some of those things in this series. So when we begin to fear, or love, or trust something equal with God, and it can be anything. That has become an idol to us. That has become a God. Now, often, when we think of idolatry, we we only think of love. It's an idol, if I love another God or if I love another thing, we know, for example, a secret idol for many of us might be money. Or, or a certain relationship in our life. And, and we would say, if I love that person or if I love that thing equal to or more than God, that's become an idol for me. But do you realize that it's not just love? It's also fear and trust. And, and I'm, I'm not going to talk so much about fear today. We don't have time for that. But let, let's talk about trust. Trust. Are there things that when you don't have them, when they are gone from your life, even temporarily, you start to feel shaky? Not God. If a certain person leaves, do you start to lose your confidence? When I was a young boy in high school, Julie and I started dating... And we loved each other very much from the get-go. She's now my wife, for those of you who don't know. I, I, honestly, I kind of made a little bit of an idol out of her. Because it, it just felt like things were not going to go well for me if she wasn't around. And I, I put too much weight and too much burden on the girl. You see, I, I began to trust her equal to her more than God. There are things in your life, whether it's money or a certain possession or a home or or whatever it might be, a best friend that you say, if I didn't have this person, I don't know what I would do. If I didn't have this person, I don't think I could be happy. If I didn't have this object or this thing or this money, there would be no way for me to be content with my life. That is trusting something as much as we trust God because Remember last week we talked about Paul being content no matter what the circumstances? The idea was that he had learned to fear and love and trust God above all things by the power of the Spirit, not by his own power. And so he could be content whatever things he had or didn't have. Coming back to this, you see... When the Israelites, when Isaiah's writing to the Israelites, he's saying, and we talked about it a moment ago, you have so many things in your life that you've built trust in, that you no longer have time to just simply sit back and trust me. And so you've transferred all of this into these rituals that you make. You, you walk up to the temple, you do the sacrifices, but it's all empty because your trust isn't really in me. When I look in your heart, I see your trust in all of these things. And yes, over here, you're going through the worship motions, while maintaining your satisfaction and your contentment and your happiness with life on these things. So what's the question for us? Where is our trust truly lying? Is it, do, do I say to myself, I can only trust myself? Do I say to myself, well, I, if I'm going to trust anyone, it's going to be my spouse or my children? And, and we have to examine that because when we come to worship, worship is about saying, God, I trust you. I trust your promises. Write this in. God seeks faith-driven worship. Not religion, not the outward shell, not the ritual What God seeks is for us to come here and above all else say, God, I'm leaning on you. I'm resting my heart, my life, my everything on you. And if everything else is taken away, Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, take our, our goods, fame, child, or life. Let all these be gone. They have yet nothing won. They have yet nothing one, because I have my God to trust in and lean on. When we come to worship, is that the thought that's in our mind? Take whatever you want from me. As long as I have my Savior Jesus, as long as I have my God, I'm going to be just fine. God seeks faith-driven worship, not religion-driven worship. What I mean by religion-driven worship is all the outward trappings of religion, the ritual, the behaviors. What God wants to see is us leaning on him. That means three things. First of all, faith in Christ. If you want to receive the blessing of Christmas, it starts with this beautiful gospel message that Jesus came to be your savior that Jesus came to offer you the perfect sacrifice for sins so that you could be completely free of all your guilt and all your shame. The beautiful gospel message is the heart of our trust and faith in God's promises that surround that. God started by promising his own son that when you die on the cross, I will deliver you from death three days later. And that happened. Do we believe that whatever God promises, God will deliver on those promises? That when God says something, it's as good as already done, and especially the promises of His love. When you wake up in the morning, do you wake up thinking to yourself every day, because of Jesus, I'm a dearly loved child of God, and I can walk through this day confident because I am God's daughter? That makes me a princess in the sight of God. I am God's son. That makes me a prince in God's eyes. I can walk and talk like a prince or a princess with all the privileges, all the joy, all the wealth of knowing that I am a child of God, fully forgiven, headed toward heaven. Do you just bask in that beautiful gospel promise every day from morning till evening? I hope you do. And then as you just bathe in, in that gospel message of God's love for you, do you also put your faith in God's values and goals for your life? You know, speaking of culture, and this leads right into the next point, we, we live in a culture that is now constantly questioning God's values and goals for our life. We live in a, in a culture that is drawing on our hearts with with, with questions about our identity, questions uh, about our sexuality, questions about our possessions and our wealth, questions about what truly makes us a valuable person. The, all throughout our culture just look at it there are all these questions being raised and my my encouragement to you brothers and sisters is no matter what culture is saying about the values that you should espouse about any of these areas and many more go back to the Bible with an open heart go back to the Bible with an open mind And just simply look and say, what is God teaching me here? What is God telling me about his values in any of these many areas? Because if I'm going to come and worship God, it's important that I understand his values for my life with an open mind and an open heart. You know what saddens me so much in the last couple weeks is to, is to see all the people expressing hate over stupid, outward... Talk about decorations. Who cares about your ethnicity, your race, your socioeconomic position in life, and yet we as Christians have to stand up and say it is God's value that we love every person no matter what. Now that doesn't mean we're going to necessarily leave you where you are at in your values or attitudes, meaning on the inside, but we are going to include every last person because God includes every last person. At the baptism, I quoted a verse, go therefore And make disciples of all nations. All right, I'll leave it there because I can go off on that one for a long time. (laughs) Faith in God's values and goals. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us, who will know? Here's, as we come to understand God's values, and God's goals for our life what that's going to lead to is an attitude of you know what i've messed up and now that i more fully understand what god wants from me and wants of me and wants for me especially i need to understand that i've gone in the wrong direction and repent of that and turn around and go in the right direction Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord. What was happening in the time of Isaiah is even when they knew the direction they were supposed to be going, they were sneaking around and trying to do what they knew God didn't want them to do. You see, Isaiah came, and let me tell you this there is talk about gospel driven life. Read Isaiah 53. And realize that that was... Re- you write that down in your notes. Isaiah 53. Go home and read that. Realize that that was written 700 years before Jesus even came. And it is the most perfect picture of the salvation that God wanted for us and for them. And he delivers that to, him, to them through the prophet. And so they know the gospel. They know that everything is pointed toward waiting for this Savior, this Messiah. They have, they've had every chance to learn of God's love for them. And now God says, so now that you know how much I love you, that I'm sending my son for you, I'm just asking you to take an honest look at your values, see if they match up with mine, see if you're following my commandments, and when you're not, repent. Come and say, I messed up, I sinned, I'm wrong, please forgive me. I want to turn my life around, Lord. write this down, God seeks repentant worship, not remorseless worship. If we come to worship and we're so filled with self that there is no remorse over the wrong things that we've done, we're off track in our worship. It's why we have a confession of sins every week. It's our opportunity to come clean before God, to express remorse over our sins, and to offer to God our lives so that we can turn it around and to ask for his help because we need it to turn it around. Verse 16, you turn things upside down. As if the potter were thought to be like the clay, shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? The Israelites to be to put it in a word were attention seekers. They, they constantly wanted the attention to be on them. Now, I don't know what you believe about our culture, but an honest look at our culture would seem to suggest that often we as Americans think of ourselves as special and want the attention to be on us and think that the world revolves around our nation and our country. But if you've ever done any traveling outside of our nation and our country, there there may be a few people that express mild interest in you because you're an American, but most of the world doesn't spend that much time thinking about us, to be honest. And yet we devote so much Energy and time to thinking about ourselves and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's what the Israelites were doing. And, and so God is saying to them, listen, I love you. Instead of always calling for the attention to be on you, what I want is worship, which means you turn that around and, and put the attention on me. And, it, and if you... It, If there's even a little bit, like there sometimes is for me, of like, who's God? Why should I give him my attention? Think about what's driving that. Who's God? Why should I give him my attention? Why should I worship this guy? Why is he so special? You see, that's why Isaiah says, you turn things upside down as if the potter, God, were thought to be like, The clay, you, shall what is formed, shall you say to the one who formed you, God, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Final point, God seeks humble worship, not arrogant worship. That's our attitude toward self, that we downplay ourselves and upplay God. Now, as we look at this last verse, here's what I'm gonna say. This is the season of Advent. And as I close, I want you to think about what that means. Advent means Christ is coming. Christ is coming and he has come. So there's two comings. We're in this to celebrate the first coming where Jesus came humbly. Where Jesus came to be our savior. But the Bible makes it clear that there is a second coming and I I hate to maybe end on this very serious note, but I'm going to end on this very serious note because it's important. In that second coming, the Bible, the New Testament tells us again and again and again, when Jesus comes, whether you believe in him, whether you trust in him, whether you know him or don't know him, at that point, you will worship him. Every knee will bow, the Bible says. Every knee will bow. We'll bow, And I want you to look at what the writer to the book of Hebrews here says. And in effect, what he says is, it's better for us to worship him now because he loves us and loved us and gave us this beautiful gospel message of his love. It's better for us to worship him now in adoration because we're forgiven and because we have everlasting life than to worship him then not having known his love, and instead bending the knee because our God is a consuming fire. Look at what it says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, this is the awesome promise of God, you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Worship ceases to be a mere decoration when it becomes a true outward reflection of our heart's affection. That's what I want you to go home with. I want my heart to be an outward reflection of my heart's affection, not just a mere decoration. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have given us your son, Jesus, and that is what we celebrate at Christmas. Lord, as the decorations start to go up around us, may they be a reminder to me, to, to us, and to me, to all of us, that our faith is not to be just a mere outward decoration, a shiny object, but that it is something that represents my heart's inward affection toward you. Lord, we love because you first loved us. And in that amazing gospel message of your son, Jesus Christ, may this be a season of worship for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like to hear more messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. What delivers Christmas? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Jesus and his amazing love and forgiveness deliver Christmas. And so as we come in the next three weeks, I want to invite you to keep coming back through this series, Recapturing Christmas. If you want to recapture Christmas, it starts with these four areas of attitude adjustment. What do I think about truth? What do I think about trust? What do I think about sin? And what do I think about myself? As you go out this week, I want you to think about those four things and just dive into what's going on in your heart. Let me, uh, let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.